in today's episode, we are changing things up. Instead of talking to chiefs, we are joined by some of our legislative team to talk about CPOC priorities and advocacy efforts in 2023. Thanks for listening. Excited for today's episode. Excited to have Danielle Sanchez and Josh Gogger on our show today. We're mixing it up a little bit. Um, we've been um, having the opportunity to talk to chiefs uh, around the state about uh, probation issues. And today we want to talk about the upcoming legislative session and some of the advocacy that CPOC is involved in. And so who better to talk to about that than our advocacy team? Um, and so I'm just going to ask each of you to introduce yourselves. So Danielle, why don't you uh, do that? I feel like it's almost weird to ask you to introduce yourself because <laughs> we've worked together for so long. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate being here. And uh, there obviously is a lot happening at the legislative level, as there is year over year. Um, but by way of introduction, Danielle Sanchez with WPSS Group, and I have the opportunity and privilege to serve as the CPOC Legislative Director. Um, and as part of that, to have uh, had a, a great opportunity to work with uh, CPOC and with Karen and, and the Chiefs for uh, going on 15 years now. So a lot has changed in this issue area, and it's exciting to be a part of it and, uh, and look forward to the conversation today about great. what we uh, expect in the year ahead. Great. I appreciate that. And thanks for outing how old I am. So with that, Josh, can you do any better? <laughs> I'll try. So I'm Josh Gogger. I'm with Hearst Brooks Espinoza. Um, and I'm going to be working with CPOC this year on budget-specific advocacy. Um, prior to joining Hearst Brooks Espinoza about a year and a half ago or so, I was with the California State Association of Counties, uh, kind of working on all things public safety or criminal justice focused, and had the opportunity to work very closely with CPOC uh, during that time as well. And prior to that, worked at the State Department of Finance, again, on public safety issues and uh, enjoyed a great relationship with our county partners on public safety. And who better to have so, uh, someone help us with our budget advocacy than someone who was once called on the legislative <laughs> hearing, uh, Mr. Department of Finance, correct? Mr. Finance. <laughs> Mr. <yeah>. Finance. <laughs> Not a whole department, just Mr. <laughs> Finance. So I'm really pleased to have both of you here today. Um, and I think before we jump into some of the specific things that CPOC and uh, probation professionals in general should be kind of looking forward to on um on specifics uh, with the legislature. Let's talk about the legislature itself. They are coming back in today uh, at the day of this recording. They should all be here in Sacramento. I haven't checked them in yet, but I am assuming they are across the street. <laughs> They're here. Good to know. Um, so uh, just kind of knowing that just got off an election, you know, definitely things have been changing. Uh, Danielle, you want to start out with uh, what you're expecting that to look like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think coming off an election year and obviously there was also redistricting, so new district lines, which made uh, a normal election cycle even a little bit different. Um, this year, there's a large class of new legislators. Uh, about a third of the legislature um, is new this year, um, which uh, I think wow. one of the components of that it, that's really exciting is 
um, uh, really, uh, there's been a lot of focus on the diversity of this set of legislators. Um, and and specifically, I think the uh, highest number of women uh, to serve in the Assembly and Senate um, in, in history in the California wow. legislature. So I think something that's uh, exciting both for those members and also as we look at it from the state of California, uh, especially I know uh, from a probation perspective, I you know, I know uh, the probation profession is represented by over 51 percent of women uh, serving in, in probation. And so I think uh, certainly uh, that particular lens and the types of uh, perspective it brings to the conversation is really important. Um, so with that new kind of class of legislators, you know, we're certainly starting to see some changes, uh, not across the board, but in uh, some committee chairs, uh, for example, with new members coming in, uh, new membership on those committees. So all of those dynamics um, uh, uh, you know, I think cut maybe multiple ways. There's new members that you don't know where they're going to be, maybe on certain issues that create some opportunities. Um, and then there's also uh, opportunity to really get in front of them and talk about the great work that probation does and the resources and needs uh, in order to serve, you know, the clients and youth that probation serves. Oh, so it's a great point and um, exciting opportunity, which is code word in our office for a big challenge yes. ahead, but uh, but one in which I think we are really looking forward to taking on. Um, so, Josh, I heard there was some great news before they came in, and we have a, a budget deficit that we're facing. <laughs> so what does that look like? Right. So that's one of the most interesting dynamics with the new members coming in, right? They've never had to deal with this type of right. budget environment, and some of the outgoing members and those members that have been around the longest um, have maybe had to deal with this, right? There's been several good budgets in a row, but then there have been members that have been around uh, for the good times and the bad times. But the the new members that are just sitting down in the seat are walking into, uh, by all indications, a really tough budget environment. So they're you know probably starting to get briefings about the $24 billion projected deficit, according to the Legislative Analyst Office. And so you know, they have maybe heard over the last couple of years or um, been campaigning in an environment where their predecessors are looking at lists of priorities and local projects that they want to do for their communities. And there has been uh, a budget environment where that's a lot easier and members have all of their top priorities that they're able to deliver on for their constituents back in their districts. But uh, that's not necessarily the the environment that these new new members are walking into. So that'll be a, a immediate challenge for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And a challenge for us. So not to scare off all of the listeners who are in the probation field and just heard that uh, bomb that you just dropped. Way to go, Josh. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> but um, what do you think that means uh, for probation and our budget uh, priorities and, you know, just an everyday? I mean, are people worried about, you know, there being massive cuts? Yeah, I think there is a lot of concern about that. But also, um, obviously, probation has been asked by the state to do a lot over the last several years. Uh, so probation is delivering uh, programs and services on behalf of the state. There's been, you know, 2011 realignment uh, feels like a long time ago, but for those involved, True. maybe it sometimes feels very recent still, too. And then uh, Division of Juvenile Justice realignment. I mean, these are... Um, major policy shifts where the state has a vested interest in the success and outcome at the local level. Uh, so while there is a tough budget environment, that I think by no means means that um, 
counties and probation departments should, you know, sit this one out on the sideline and not be advocating for their interests, not be prioritizing, not be t- telling the state uh, what we need locally to be successful with these programs and these these big opportunities for success. Code word opportunities. Um, so, yeah, I've, I, you know, I think that's a really important piece to underscore that even though these are potentially challenging times, we do have a lot of new members um, to uh, kind of introduce ourselves to and and learn about their priorities. Um, the, the key thing that I think we'll all be talking about to uh, the legislature, to the state administration, is that the things we need funded, the changes in law we need to see happen are in, have a direct consequence and impact to what the state is going to feel is their responsibility. I mean, we obviously represent local entities, local government entities. And so I think sometimes, especially in bad budget times, there tends to be this, well, we can't even afford the things we need at the state level. How can we listen to the things that maybe you you need? Um, I think it's really going to be, you know, uh, woven throughout a lot of the discussions that we have that, no, we are performing things when we're not funded to take care of the youth in our care. They end up eventually getting into an adult criminal justice system, which could eventually have impacts on a state prison system, which is on the the budget of the the state. And, you know, and the same is true if we are not, you know, being able to get the tools that we need uh, to address some of the supervision for our adult uh, populations or to be able to serve the courts uh, with our reporting so that those types of things can uh, happen uh, quickly, fairly, then it just backs up a system that ends up with uh, bad outcomes, right, but also costly ones. And so in a budget debate, there are a lot of things that kind of play a little bit differently, I think, um, with where we are. Here's yeah. me lobbying the lobbyists. But yeah, that yeah. does sound like um, something to kind of keep keep in mind. Well, um, before jumping or I think now maybe we can jump into some of the specifics. What are some of the key issues that we think um, are on the top of minds for the chiefs who we advocate for? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think a couple, oh, certainly there's a, a handful of things that I think um, are very much priorities of uh, probation this year. When I always think about a lot of these issues too, how integrated they all are. And when we talk about the continuum, um, that is something I know we talk about a lot about in the legislature that you know, what is what is uh, done on the front end in the juvenile system has impacts not just on the juvenile system, but from, you know, keeping individuals from entering into the adult system. Um, our uh, probation's integration of services, you know, with behavioral health and others, all of those uh, kind of brought in and integrated into the work probation's doing ultimately has kind of, um, you know, holistic impacts in all parts of it. And so I think, you know, when we when we look at some of the priorities uh, for probation this year, I think it's really representative of the really the multitude of um, uh, kind of things that probation does, you know, within it. I know over the years we've talked about, you know, probation wears a lot of different hats. It's really I've heard more recently chief say, you know, it's it's a singular hat with a whole lot of things involved in it to get the job done and right. to serve, you know, youth and adults. And so I think the uh, legislative efforts, probably both budget and policy really reflect that. Um, so, you know, I, I think a couple things, um, just maybe I'll, I'll start with kind of the, the broader areas and then we can maybe sure. take a deeper dive. You know, I think um, 
obviously supporting youth and families is a really important um, area that we'll be working on, um, both in the, uh, you know, kind of the delinquency side of the system as it's traditionally been talked about, but certainly in the foster care and continuum of care reform, how do we help youth with really complex needs, um, get get the resources that they need, uh, uh, you know, stay local with families um, and, and kind of, you know, help surround them and support them uh, through that. Uh, I think officer and community safety, of course, is always a big one. And there's, I think, a lot that falls within that. Um, sure. How do we make sure that in order for probation to do the work and protecting our communities, that we're giving them the tools to do that, you know, in return. Um, and so there's definitely, I think, a number of um, kind of priorities and efforts that that fall within that. And I think you really investing, you know, in the profession um, is also a, a key area that I know both budget and policy wise is going to be really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the training and the recruitment area is so big for everybody um, and a lot of different um, uh areas that I think it'll be important to, you know, to continue to talk about the need in probation specifically to support some of these initiatives that um, have started in the previous uh, years. But let's jump in on uh, a topic that's probably on the forefront of a lot of uh, listeners' minds, which is the DJJ transition. Um, And really, that's kind of the last piece of this larger closing down of DJJ and really realigning the entire juvenile justice population to the locals. Um, And so there's both, you know, always cleanup needed in that area. So I'm sure there's some things that we want to talk about or will be talked about, you know, in the legislature. Um, But then just also the needs to support our, um, from a budgetary perspective, being able to take on something that we did not advocate for, (laughs) The three of us were pretty involved yeah. in trying to to advocate against uh, it because of the concern that um, of that it may result in some some bad outcomes at the local level. But now that we are here, we are getting a better sense of what we're going to need to do. So, um, Josh, why don't you jump in a little bit and talk about that? Yeah, I mean, Danielle talked about the continuum, right, mm-hmm. and the connection between the juvenile system and the adult system. The continuum also now, con- like we were talking about, mm-hmm. includes the local and the state system. And these types of major policy shifts are kind of forever linking the local and the state system. So, um, yeah, it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Now we're in a, um, the stage of implementation where we need to make sure that we are advocating at the state level for what we need to be successful on these um, major program shifts that impact the state and the um, the counties. Um, so, yeah, I think you you mentioned it, Karen, the transitional needs mm-hmm. of the, the youth that are still at the Division of Juvenile Justice with right. the closure just around the corner. I think there's been a lot of um, work to try to evaluate uh, what what we will need to be successful uh, with youth as they are potentially returned to the local level or um, however the the final stages of the closure of the DJJ system uh, plays out. So certainly... Uh, making it clear what is uh, needed to continue to be successful with those youth. Um, And it's a complex issue because we're not just focused on one side on the success of those youth. I think chiefs are uh, really actively thinking about 
how those youth can also impact the existing population, right? We can't just focus on the newest uh, population or the population that we're talking about the most at the moment. We need to continue to think about how that impacts our existing system. So I think that also goes into training as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think chiefs have been talking a lot about the need for additional training, and it's um, sometimes training on uh, core responsibilities, core um, factors, core job components, but it's also uh, training on some of these new um, programs and how they can impact the system. So it's how to deal with um, more high-acuity youth being in the system, um, how to... um, uh, address a uh, the raise in the age of jurisdiction and the kind of connection and um, uh, interplay between the older youth, uh, emerging adult population being in the system with the younger youth and having uh, more acute mental health needs. So all of these, um, you know, challenges are also opportunities uh, to reinvest in training of probation officers and re refocus on what it is we're trying to accomplish. And so a lot of that will um, will play out through the need for additional training, I think. Yeah. And it seems to me like the I, I often feel for um, our, our especially our juvenile hall staff who are so much is being asked of um, and so many different types of populations, as, as you were just pointing out, kind of coming to um, to be housed and in, in in our care, and so what is what is it that our, those folks need to to be successful? Not only the youth, but our staff to to be sure that they they have um, you know they have the support uh, necessary. It it can be a very um, exciting time for our folks in that uh, you know if supported, and in fact we were just talking on another. Um, a conversation, you know, when probation staff, you know, is supported with the tools needed, they really have a, a great opportunity to change and make a really lasting change. And I think that's going to be true here. So, um, so hopefully the legislature is listening in and saying that makes a lot of sense. So tell us more. So I'm sure both of you will be talking more about some of those, uh, those things. And I know there's going to be a lot of cleanup legislation specific um, and separate and apart from just, you know, funding priorities. Um, and we're still trying to kind of figure some of those things out were this podcast is about the connection that uh, so we often work with other groups and uh, in a coalition type setting and so um, Danielle maybe you can give us a little forecast of some of those issues that maybe are going to be talked about around this area yeah absolutely and I think you know one of the things as as we all have have lived working in the policy and budget areas so much of this is is iterative and and when we talk about implementation um, you know there's the immediate short term but we also know that over time the policy enactment is not done in a silo, that each year more bills are, you know, go through the legislature, are enacted. And so sometimes uh, it's it's those in kind of in tandem, even with the policy, such as DJJ realignment, too, that we're having to look at holistically to say, what are the needs, you know, in the out years as well? Um, one of the things that we have seen kind of following um the enactment of DJJ realignment, for example, is uh, pertains to the um uh, sex offender registration requirements uh, for youth. Um, uh, prior to DJJ realignment, youth in DJJ um, were had to register uh, based on their offense um, 
uh, under the sex offender registration requirements because of some changes in statute and the development of the uh, Secure Youth Treatment Facility, SYTF, those uh, provisions had inadvertently kind of not uh, transitioned to the youth and the SYTFs. And so we know that that is an area that uh, that probation has identified along with, I think, many other groups um, as well, particularly working in, in the public safety uh, area as an area that really, I think, needs to be looked at and is likely to be looked at this year about what kind of redress to make sure that that mm-hmm. is potentially restored. Right. You know, and a lot of the, a lot of that is and a lot of what we find ourselves in in conversations with the legislature and others during the session is as issues are identified by other people, not even just us, we but impact our work or we know of things that could uh, potentially help make a policy work better. You know, we're going to we're going to need to get involved with and, and that I could see that being one of those discussions for sure. Um, one of the other things that pops out, I think, in some of the conversations we've had, which is, uh, you know, a little different for us, but it's definitely from a coalition standpoint. It seems like every area, whether it's on the adult side or the juvenile side that we're talking about, we really do need to work hand in hand with others, such as behavioral health. And we've heard a lot. Um, they probably find themselves in a similar situation that we do. The state's asking for them to do a lot. But yet, you know, um, are they going to be able to have the, the resources and the tools available to them to do that? Um, we are going to need to rely on behavioral health in our in our halls, you know, with, um, you know, with uh, some of the treatment that we're doing. So I, I think integrating just the, the health conversation is probably going to see a lot more of that this year than we have in years past. So, um, you know, I don't know if you guys have you had conversations yet across the street with, with that kind of thing, but do you have any thoughts on behavioral health? Yeah, I, I, well, so I would say um, behavioral health is an interesting one as it kind of relates to, again, the, the theme of what we're talking about on major state initiatives. So uh, one of the areas we've seen behavioral health talked a lot about is in the um, implementation of CalAIM. Um, So anybody that's paid, you know, even less than half attention to uh, health and human services policy. Are you talking to me? I don't really understand, Josh. (laughs) Probably all of us uh, over the last, uh, you know, couple years has heard something about CalAIM and the impacts that it could have on the delivery of behavioral health and the Medi-Cal system. So, um, you know, I think somewhat... um, not ironically, the name of the podcast, right? The Probation Connection, I think, is one of those um, areas where it's very important in the implementation of CalAIM, a major, again, major state uh, initiative or program that will need to be successful at the local level. And CalAIM is one of those that in conversations with chiefs and probation departments uh, more broadly uh, that you hear talked about where the probation department is kind of that connection point between the delivery of the court-ordered treatment plan for a youth, right, and also some of these uh, behavioral health services or new programs uh, that are being developed. So when you talk about enhanced uh, care management or enhanced case management um, in the field, the probation role in being that connection point between the court-ordered treatment plan and the new programs and services as they're developed uh, is something that I think uh, through the budget process uh, would be really helpful to to address to make sure that probation is prepared um, and you know um, well uh, staffed really to be able to to serve as that key connection point. 
You know, and it seems like what we'll see time and time again, and you'll, you hear about it a lot in Sacramento, I'm sure it's true out in county land, is the building up of silos. So you'll often hear, well, we're doing all of this great stuff over here. If, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see me using my right hand going up and down over here. On the other side is, is you know, is uh, the people who might have to implement or might be most connected to those who need to get the service. But there's no connection between all of these great programs and getting the people to those programs. I think we find probation oftentimes as the actual guide to some of that. But yet, if we're not investing in that or supporting those abilities to kind of cross the silos, you know, you're just building programs and services that are never going to get to the intended target. And so, you know, probation can be a force multiplier if Mm -hmm. you, you know, kind of look at it that way. Um, And it seems like this could be a really great place to try to help the state achieve um, those uh, benefits that they're hoping to get to the populations that we serve. So that would be... um, that would be great. I, so let's get that too. Will you work on that, Josh? <laughs> and one thing, just building on that, I think, you know, whether we're talking about behavioral health, workforce development, higher right. post-secondary education, I think it's really important. And I know we've spent a lot of time, the three of us talking about this, uh, is the importance of making sure that justice-involved population, youth or adults, are not only not excluded, but prioritized in the conversation right. so that there are pathways for probation to be that connector to do it. And it's important, I think, in a lot of the legislative conversations that it's clear that justice involved populations are uh, are a population that we want to make sure are getting resourced and probation is able to bring to bear all of these things that we're talking about. That's a great point. I think uh, someone used the, the term, you know, the state should be really focused on building a, you know, an expressway um, for our populations, again, adult or juvenile to get to, to get to them. But that but again, if we're not kind of helping probation, I mean, probation might have to be driving the car to take them down this expressway to get to where they need to be. So um, it's it's certainly something that uh, I think will flow through a lot of the legislative discussions and priorities that we'll be having this year. But of course, if there's one thing I know about the legislative process, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, it's not predictable. And so we'll have to be ready to adapt to that. But before kind of uh, looking into one's crystal ball, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about at least one um, area where I know we're going to be collaborating and it's it's really a priority is set forth by a, another group that we work with a lot. And that's, that is trying to address complex needs of youth um, before or hopefully to avoid them getting into our system. And so do you want to talk about that, Danielle? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think when we when we think about the juvenile side, I think uh, often externally, you know, people think about, again, uh, youth who are served by probation in the community or in the juvenile hall. But really this kind of foster care component is, is such a significant uh, part of the work that probation does, but isn't always maybe um, necessarily um, uh, talked about in the, in the kind of the same way uh, at the legislative level. Um, and so uh, we have worked uh, for obviously many, many years and continue to do so this year with our uh, child welfare uh, colleagues, recognizing that there are um, uh, important resources to have in place to prevent youth who may be in the dependency system from entering into the juvenile justice system. So I think, you know, part of the work and focus is really on how do we continue to serve youth prior to coming into the system. 
Um, but there's also the youth that uh, once in probation's care, how do we support them in foster care services and make sure that they have those supports to transition then into kind of independent living um, as as um, as they grow older. And so uh, working with our uh, child welfare colleagues um, really to focus on a, a number of things from, you know, building capacity for resource families and uh, to help help youth kind of uh, find those uh, families that can support them. Uh, developing, you know, in-state capacity uh, for children in crisis uh, that are maybe in need of short-term care uh, to address some of the very acute needs that we had talked about. Um, And so that's an area that I think, you know, year over year we continue to focus on, and this year will certainly be a focus Mm -hmm. as we we really need to make sure that um, the implementation around that of of, uh, policies that have already been enacted are are well-resourced to carry them out in the way that we all want to see, but also making sure that the programmatic components around that are actually being implemented in a way that that the resources are, are getting to what we needed to get to. So I think, you know, part of the conversation will be is, um, do we need to look at some changes and updates that make sure that, again, we're actually bringing mm-hmm. these to fruition in the way that everyone intended and wants to see? And and that's that's the... the uh child welfare directors kind of top priority and we've just worked really well with them over the years and it sounds like you know not only to uh, address those needs but then obviously to make sure that some of the things that we're doing well in that area can also be applied to the delinquency side and and making sure that once um, you know they are in our care that we have just as much access to those types of services. Switching gears for a minute, because it's something that I think people often uh, forget about, um, and and that's our important role with the courts and serving the courts. And so um, I know we are in the process of implementing uh, pretrial reforms um, and uh, making sure that we are serving the court who's, you know, been provided budget um, allocations to to do some of this work. Um, And uh, we're we're getting those programs up and running now statewide. Many of our counties have been doing something similar to this for for a long time. But um, do you expect that to be a part of something that we need to be keeping an eye on, um, especially from a budgetary perspective? Yeah, a- absolutely. So I think, you know, I don't need to remind you or the, the audience that pretrial has been a bit of a roller coaster ride over the last several years, right? right. With SB 10, Proposition 25. Um and zero dollar bail during the pandemic. But yes, it is uh, one of those areas, like you said, where those programs are now kind of coming together, more starting to take shape, I think, right. in the in the existing environment. And courts are entering into those uh, contracts with probation departments. And it's becoming, I think, more and more clear what level of service uh, the court is looking for from probation departments, which, uh, you know, in turn is making it more and more clear what the resource level needs are among probation departments in order to deliver those services. Right. So that's certainly an area that uh, is going to require further conversations um, because I think that it, it really hasn't been uh, resolved in an ongoing way. Uh, right. I think obviously I'm sure the courts and certainly probation departments are uh, grateful for the the resources to, to begin implementing pretrial mm-hmm. services but certainly we know as those um, programs are taking shape that the resource level is just not matching um, 
I guess you could call it the the request of the court or the the programs and services that are that would be expected or, and really be needed for California to be successful at standing up an alternative to to monetary bail. And really, the successful means making sure that people who, if they are not going to be um, detained, um, that whatever then is required is is funded so that we can do that both to make sure that we don't have people detained that maybe shouldn't be, but also that it's being done safely. And without that funding, I think that's what so uh, that that ends up being missed. Um, the other thing that I would point out um, is you know, we can have a conversation about making sure that pretrial is funded in a way to address what's being intended without really having the conversation about cash bail. You know, I mean, I think that's a very, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to, uh, folks to like turn off and say, well, I'm not for this or that. That's separate and part. The The bill's been, you know, passed. There's these different things moving forward. There's case law now on the books, probably most importantly, um, that requires the court to do something. Mm-hmm. These funds allow the court to do what they're supposed to be doing and to try to do it in the most safe way possible. Those the other policy questions can be debated and probably will be debated, right? We've yeah. already heard of of definitely some legislators that yeah. still want to have those conversations, whether it's zero bail policies or or other things. This is different than that. Is am I correct in that? I see both of you nodding your heads, but for those folks who are listening, I just want to make sure that I got that right. Right. So there's okay. going to be circumstances or cases where the judge will need to look into that right it's it's not necessarily um like you said it's not necessarily uh building up this alternative system to try to rival or take over uh cash bail but like you said there's case law there is the the humphreys decision there there is now uh, a requirement to look at these least restrictive alternatives um, right so. and, and you know courts will look at too and lean on departments to to try to help them address that and again to address it in the most safe way possible and so um so i think that we need to keep an eye on that so that it doesn't become something that kind of becomes overwhelming and i know you both are um are talking through a lot of those things. But that also brings me to my uh, the issues that I wanted to dive into a little bit more detail around. I think you both mentioned it, but really what our officers need in order to keep them well-trained, safe. You know, what, what does that conversation sound like or look like in the legislature? You want to start, Danielle? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, a couple things, and I, I'm sure Josh will talk maybe a little bit more about kind of the training component and really the um, the evolving nature of, of the needs of training, um, uh, both for kind of the core training, but also, um, you know, additional areas. Uh, you know, I think one uh, really good example that we've seen kind of within the last couple of years and something that I know we have talked about, for example, is um, making sure that the the statutory uh, requirements around the tools that probation has to do the job, uh, again, because especially on the adult side, probation is working with those on uh, uh, felony probation, but also post-release community supervision, mandatory supervision, pretrial, and and others. Uh, you know, the non-roster firearm issue, for example. And for for those who are listening, that I'm sure are familiar with this, was kind of an inadvertent change in statute a couple years ago that made some changes uh, to the. 
the non-roster statute that, again, had inadvertent changes to probation's uh, use of non-roster firearms. Uh, and so we've been having a lot of uh, conversations about uh, making sure that statute is clear in restoring the ability, which has been you know, in and on the statutes for a number of years and really is an important element because it does impact both officer safety um, from a training perspective, you know, a continuity of uh, operations, um, and, and therefore the officer safety has a direct impact on community safety. And so the, it's, those are, I think, really important issues that we continue to talk about legislatively um, because, the, again, they're, they're interconnected and we want to make sure that uh, officers have the the tools that they need in doing the job, which is to serve the community. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Josh, I think you mentioned too that the one of the things that probably falls under officer safety is the the training that's right. necessary, which isn't just about maybe the more enforcement side or the the things that you maybe tend to think about with officers, but also training to make sure that they have all of the tools available to them to communicate and and connect. Um, their clients to services. Right. So it's, it's again, the, that word connection of the mm-hmm. training on serving as the connection between the court ordered treatment plan and the behavioral health services and the social services that are available. Um, and also, I think y- you can look at training for, or, you know, training of existing uh, staff and officers, but you can also, in a way, look at training as um, more of education before individuals uh, even enter the profession. And I think we've heard right. some conversations around, well, wouldn't it be great if there was uh, more curriculum development where um, individuals that are interested in the career path are kind of learning from the very beginning what the job is all about and that key connection point and learning both the social services, behavioral health services side of it and the public safety side of it as well. Um, and then you're focusing more on core training as part of the job. But really, um, that doesn't necessarily exist. I mean, there are some good programs in California, but it doesn't necessarily exist. This um, specific curriculum tailored to probation in California and the unique and important role that probation serves. It's a great point. Um you know, uh, besides the specifics on some of our priorities this this year that we're obviously going to be uh, pursuing, also we'll work with others, you know, to kind of uh, collaborate and 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 maybe um, tackle some of the larger issues, you know, at play. Uh, what are you guys seeing just in general as some of the top topics? And it doesn't have to be on probation, but some of the top topics kind of in and around maybe the justice system or local government that will be debated and maybe read about on the, you know, the front page of the papers for, for our folks. What do yeah. you think are going to be those issues this year? I would start maybe with a couple of, um, I think housing and homelessness, of course, is a, is a huge one. And I you think- You stole Josh's- I did. I, <laughs> I maybe did. Um, uh, it, and it has a direct impact. You know, oftentimes we have seen um, different types of, you know, supportive housing type services or models that maybe don't allow somebody with uh, a criminal justice background um, to, to be housed there. And so- those are the types of things that I think are going to be really important is how do we um, make sure that, again, the justice involved population has access to some of those programs and, and uh, that probation can 
really be able to reach right. out and integrate those things. Probation is such a connector, uh, but we have to make sure those pathways are there, you know, for us to to be able yeah. to connect. And so I think that's going to be a huge issue um, this year, just from a you know. And I think that intersects with the behavioral health discussion sure. that we had as well. Too, the, so many of those things are interconnected. That housing is such a core component to the stabilization of other things. And yeah. so, you know, you need uh, behavioral health resources, housing to be able to be stabilized. And especially, I think, you know, in the justice involved system, um, uh, having that stability has that kind of what we talked about, that um, magnifying or compounding effect. That right. it, it helps you to meet the other requirements needed that are set out by the court sure. and, and uh, our work with yeah, I, I certainly agree with the housing and homelessness. I'll just kind of build off that and say as it relates to the budget um, and kind of the the bad budget picture coming together, um, it's kind of this pivotal moment um, around homelessness as well where this, I think, rightfully so, the, the state, um, the legislature, the administration feel like there has been historic investments in homelessness and housing over the last few years. Uh, but it's certainly going to take time to deliver results based on those investments. And a lot of investments have been in infrastructure and the infrastructure investments. I think you would hear from the from the county sides. Uh, that's going to take a lot of time. Those you know, in, new infrastructure does not just pop up overnight. So with the bad budget outlook, you have this kind of pivotal moment of all of these historic investments, but they've all mainly been limited term or one-time investments. And now you're trying to build a budget that builds on those investments, but there is not the same resources available to the state to to look at extending those programs. So I think you're hearing a lot of legislators start to talk about accountability and what have we got for our investments and, you know, have we been investing in the right place? What can we show for these and investments and starting to look for, um, alternative uh, programs that, that may deliver quicker, faster results um, because you've seen the, the homelessness yeah. um, and unsheltered populations grow uh, despite historic investments. So it, it's a really, really difficult time to try to build on those investments with a, yeah. a bad budget outlook. Well, and I realize it's only a small um, kind of aspect to it, but it seems to me something that came out of last year's budget that we're going to see potentially roll out this year, um, no pun intended, but our mobile probation mm -hmm. service centers, which, um, you know, the the state uh, funded, uh, I think it was 20 million. 20 million. I was going to add another 5 million in there, but I don't think they allow me to do that. Uh, that's, that's my home budgeting. Um, but I, I think if we, if we utilize that, we've seen um, a couple of different counties already kind of utilizing this concept where you're taking probation and probation services to people versus vice versa. And it wasn't really developed to be a homelessness um, solution. Uh, but I think you can see how that is tying to some of the, the homelessness or unsheltered populations. Um, and so it shouldn't be limited or, you know, it should be looked at as it may be a part of some of those quicker uh, things that could bridge some of those gaps to those larger um, and longer uh, infrastructure investments. So, you know, just putting in a pitch for um, more, more, more of that, more yeah. wheels. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, related to kind of the other topics we just talked about, I think, you know, substance uh, use issues continue to be mm -hmm. 
um, looked at quite significantly for youth and adults. And so I think that's an area where um, uh, looking at, you know, treatment um, uh, for substance use, also, you know, collaborative court type models and different things to how to address that. Because sure. oftentimes we we all see that those are interconnected to some of the, the you know, homelessness and housing issues as well. So um I'm not sure how to pose it into a question, so I'm just going to make a comment and see if you guys have some thoughts on it. But, you know, um, since Danielle shared how old I must be, um, I, I when I started advocating for probation, really it was only about being in public safety and uh, committee, uh, public mm-hmm. safety policy committees. That's where bills run through. And then it kind of quickly became clear that it's also important to be in the budget subcommittee that handles public safety. But now it seems like you also need to be in health committee and in the health budget subs and, uh, you know, obviously judiciary. We've had a couple of uh, bills where it was really, really important to to, uh, be lobbying the Judiciary Committee. So it does seem as though um, either it's always been that way and I just was only going to the wrong room and only one room. Um, But now in our advocacy efforts, it seems as though there's a whole lot of areas that we need to be playing in and making sure that people are getting educated around the needs of probation. Does that, am I hitting a chord? Yeah. And I think in a way it's an interesting statement Mm -hmm. on the whole theme of connection and the multiple hats, right? Right. You see that the way it, um, probation issues pop up in all of these different committees. Um, even within the budget committee, you know, you talked about um, from policy committee to budget committee and to all of the different policy committees, but even within the budget committee, working with different consultants with completely different policy areas and helping in a way collaborate across those policy areas, the connection between public safety and human services. And you uh, see those issues kind of be split among policy areas. But in a way, it is, like I said, a statement on how much ground probation covers and how they are bridging uh, those two sides of it. Are you in agreement, Danielle, or do you think we're crazy going no, to too no, many I think, doors? <laughs> no, I would say over the years, you know, it very much has has traditionally maybe or more so been weighted kind of in public safety, but it's human services, it's judiciary, it's local government, it's some of these things. And what, I, what I, oftentimes is interesting is there could be a bill that doesn't necessarily even say probation shall do X, Y, and Z, right. but it's a bill that we know in reading it because of right. whether it's our uh, uh, role as kind of a neutral party and, you know, uh, providing services to the court with pre-sentence right. reports or whether it's uh, something in foster care that we know that that bill is going to potentially have a significant impact either on the work probation departments are doing or on how we serve youth and adults. Um, and so I think there's many, many more issues that, again, even if it, the bill isn't designed to to uh, make a change to probation's work, it does by nature of how we work with the various, you know, court, county, uh, and community partners. Right, right, yeah. So I think that's changed both the scope of the issues we look at and the number of kind of policy and budget, you know, committees and areas that we're having discussions in. 
as the probation job has gotten harder, which is certainly what I think our listeners may feel at times, um, you know, the advocacy work has become all that much more important and also much more diversified and and difficult at times to be sure that everybody can see some of these connections and these intersects. So, um, yeah, no, I would agree. Now, uh, I am sure I have not exhausted all of the questions we could ask you. So one, I'm hoping you will come back because I'm sure as the legislative session goes, we can compare notes um, and maybe we should yes. write and put in an envelope what we think some of the the uh, end results might be. But um, so hopefully you will do that. But in the meantime, is there is there a burning question that I haven't asked that you think would be really important to get out there or talk about today? I don't think so. I'm brilliant is what you're trying to say. I I hit it all. Great moderator. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. As with all things legislative, they evolve, right? So what what our point in time is today will definitely continue to look different. By the time tomorrow rolls around, you're you're going to be like, oh, I wish I had known this because it would have been perfect for the podcast, hence why you'll need to come back. So then I'm going to create a challenge or an opportunity for you because what would a a discussion with Karen be without one? So um, if you only had three words to describe describe what we're going to be focusing on this year, what would those be? We've talked about a lot of issues that are kind of swirling about, a lot of things that we're focused on and, and looking at. But, but you know, somebody, you know, is just wanting to know, okay, wait a minute, what do I need to understand? What does CPOC stand for this legislative year? What is that all about? Ooh, yeah, I, I think you there was a twist at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the beginning of the question was three words to describe what's coming. coming. But oh, then what's so I'm, I'm going to yes. take okay, the question take I want. You want. There <laughs> is, you go. Um, I think telling our story mm. is really important yeah, yeah. for this year, right? Even if there's a bad budget outlook, even if there's not a lot of money available. Great we point. talked about all of the new members in the legislature. We talked about the connection between our system at the local level and the state system. And we've talked about all of the different hats that we wear locally. Um, And we need to tell our story throughout the year to make sure everybody understands what we're doing and what we need to be successful. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's a hard one to top, though. I think that's spot on is telling well, the story. Well, then answer the other question. <laughs> yeah, exactly, answer the other question. No, I would say, you know, a couple just kind of the themes that I think are really important, yeah. obviously, continue to focus on collaboration because we know a lot of the work we do is in concert with others and bringing the, all of that to bear is really important. I think, you know, keeping safety um, issues kind of front and center, obviously, are the mission of probation is, is to create safety kind of through accountability and opportunity. So that's going to be important. But making sure that that as we're looking at policies, that they are done in a way ultimately with safety as the goal, but that also um, are through a rehabilitative lens. And then I think, you know, integration, as we talk about all of these different areas, and maybe this gets a little bit at collaboration, but making sure that all of the the different programs, services that are brought to bear are done in a way that are um, working in concert with each other and not these either or. There's a lot of um, areas where um, uh, I think we've seen that in the past and, and, and should look to, you know, more as to how we bring all of that um, kind of together. So, well, that's. That is uh, both spot on, um, and I appreciate you allowing me to throw a little uh, monkey wrench into the conversation. I mean, and and I would say as as people walk away or or someone's listening, I mean, I hope they see that we're going to be spending a lot of time on making eight twenty three in this DJJ realignment 
work and telling our story about what it's going to take to make work and protecting those connections and the pathways to connect and collaborate to make those things work and apply that to protecting our officers, um, protecting and removing barriers for our clients. And, um, and really, I think enhancing our ability to help courts develop, to deliver a fair justice system. I mean, I think those are all things that have really heavy things that you just put on the table here that we're being asked to do on our shoulders. So we need to make sure that we're educating folks about that and making sure that everybody who's listening is going to help us educate folks about that because um, the I think that's what we're hearing the chiefs say they want to be doing more of. And we're really fortunate to have the two of you heading that up for us because, I, I mean, nobody wants to hear me talk anymore. So well, with we're, that, we're, I, we're very much privileged by the opportunity yeah. to get to uh, to help tell that story yeah. legislatively. So, oh, well, this is great. Well, thanks again for, for joining us today. And like I say, I hope we didn't scare you off. I hope you'll come back and talk to us with an update on how it's going. Absolutely. Thank you for having us.